Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Donut. Nothing personal word of the day. Friday, October 9th is donut. I don't know what my favorite kind of donut is. Powdered donut is my favorite kind of donut. The, although I do like the little uh, munchkin donuts, like donut holes. They're called popums. I used to eat chocolate entomin popums when I was young. I don't really eat those anymore. The metabolism doesn't really allow it. Donut is the word of the day. Donut, zero. Shut out. No runs. Final score, Atlanta Braves, seven. Miami Marlins, zero. Final score, Atlanta, three. Miami, zero. That's games. Seven, zero was the score in game three. The National League Division Series ended with the Braves absolutely crushing my dreams and the Marlins' dreams. I wanted... Again, people misunderstand. I wanted the Marlins to win because I think it makes me look good. I know that sounds crazy because I'm not there anymore. But I think if the Marlins can be the organization that never has lost a playoff series, they went 3-0 in 97, 3-0 in 2003, 1-0 in 2020 heading into the division series. So they were 7-0, the only franchise in history with an undefeated record in postseason series. I wanted them to win four series this year, be an even 10 and 0, have three World Series, because then I'm a part of really what would have to be considered an unbelievably successful franchise to have three World Series in a span of 23 years would have been incredible. And I would have been one third. Well, I would have been one one hundredth of one third responsible for that. Maybe one one thousandth of one third. Anyway, I digress. So the Marlins in a 60-game season make the playoffs. They're above 500. They sweep the Cubs, who, by the way, were terrible. Then they meet Atlanta. Atlanta was just a better team. They got pitching, they got defense, and they have offense. What was interesting is that when you look at Major League Baseball and the playoffs, people were very afraid, that, and I was one of them, that having playoffs after a 60-game season, we were not going to get to see the best teams play. And that's what you want in October. You want the teams who are playing the best to play against other teams who are playing the best. You don't want people to sneak in. That's the whole point of a 162-game season, that the crappy teams who have a good moment, they can't make that moment last, right? So everybody can have a good moment, but getting those moments to last, that's the trick. It's practically impossible. It's like the holy grail. But in 60 games, you could have the outlier team. So people thought the Astros were an outlier team because they were below 500. The Brewers were an outlier team because they were below 500. The Marlins, the Reds, outlier teams, even though the Reds have good pitching, although the Marlins do too. But as it turns out, we are now down to the final five in baseball. And it's easy to say 
that it's the five best teams in baseball. And to me, it's the five teams which would be here after 162 games. Why five? Because the Rays and Yankees still have to play a game five in the division series. But either the Rays or Yankees will win and they will go on to play the Astros. And I'm sorry, they are one of the best teams and they are certainly showing it right now. And on the National League side, you've got the Braves and they're playing the Dodgers. Who's talking about Slam Diego right now? Anybody? Remember Slam Diego? How great AJ Preller is? By the way, just a little AJ Preller note. You know where I stand on him as a GM. Absolutely unacceptable. You know where I stand on his ability to do what's right in a business standpoint. Absolutely doesn't exist. Do you see him every time he's on TV? They show him next to the dugout and his mask is below his nose. Every time I see someone with a mask below the nose or below the chin, Ron Washington, the third base coach for the Atlanta Braves, wears his mask below his chin. It's eyewash. If you're going to wear a mask, wear it right. If not, just don't wear it. But don't wear it below your chin or below your nose. It just looks ridiculous. So what Preller would do, Every time he's on TV, he must be watching the game where he has someone in his ear telling him when he's on TV. He takes the mask from below his nose and puts it above his nose as though we don't see. But it's too late because by the time he sees it, there's that little delay that happens when you're streaming a game. You know that delay where if you're following a game in two places, one, you're streaming it, but you're following pitch by pitch. And it's always a little bit behind the streaming is. So I don't know if you guys noticed that, but Slam Diego got so much attention with Machado and Tatis and they traded for Mike Clevenger and then he got hurt and they are fun to watch. They're exciting. Everything's great. It's the face of baseball. Remember, we thought Tatis could be the face of baseball. And I said, you got to have a October run. Well, here we are on October 9th and the Padres run has come to an end. Why it came to an end is exactly what we said would happen before the series started. The Dodgers are the Pistons. The Padres are the Bulls. And the Bulls had to spend a few years losing to the Pistons before they could beat them. Could the Padres turn into the Bulls and overtake the Pistons, meaning the Dodgers, and become the team that will now be a major playoff contender? Maybe. I'm not guaranteeing it. Listen, Tatis is an electrifying player. There's no doubt. Machado is only two years into his 10-year, $300 million deal. Hosmer is still around. Will Myers had a comeback year, really could be comeback player of the year. There's talk between him or Jesus Aguilar of the Marlins. I'd say Will Myers may have the advantage only because he's so overpaid that they tend to give the award to really highly paid people who stink or hurt, and then all of a sudden they become decent And so the team which has signed that player feels a little better about itself, which is sort of the Padres. Tatis in this three-game series, which is not a sample size, he went two for 11. I think he had no home runs, no RBI. He just was not a huge factor in the series. He actually had a fielding error, at least one fielding error. The Padres just weren't ready to beat the Dodgers. Last night, late, ended about 1.30 a.m. What is it with these playoff games, Coca? They go forever. What happened to pace of action and pace of play? Everybody says to me, I don't care. I'm happy at playoffs to watch a four-hour game. Three hours and 50-minute nine-inning game. Really? Why is that? The Padres used in their game three loss last night, and I may be wrong, I think they used 11 pitchers 
11. The Dodgers scored at will and not even using home runs. They just were hitting the ball everywhere. Line drives, everybody. Will Smith of the Dodgers is a catcher. He had a five-hit game. Can you? What I love about baseball is the stats. And I'm not an analytic guy. I'm not really a stat guy, but I'm, I'm, I'm a history guy. I'm fascinated when we had a rule in, in our front office when we would see something on the field that we had never seen before. And someone would say to us, my God, we've never seen that. And we would say, well, it's definitely happened. Everything in baseball has happened. You're not the first person. You're not the first moment. Your field situation is not the first of its kind. So Will Smith gets his fifth hit of the game. And I said to myself, that's a, that's a good game, right? A five-hit game in the playoffs, especially. But anytime, five-hit game's pretty cool. There's never been a postseason game ever for the Dodgers. And they've been in the postseason every year. Go back to the Brooklyn Dodgers, the LA Dodgers. The Do- Forget when they won the World Series. They haven't won since 88. But you realize they're always in it. They've won, I think, their division now seven straight years. There's never been a Dodger to get five hits in a postseason game. So when you're asked a trivia question, who's the Dodger to have a five-hit postseason game, you're not going to think of Will Smith, but you'd be wrong. Next question. Name the only catcher in playoff history to have a five-hit game. I got it. Johnny Bench. Good guess, but no. Oh, it's got to be Pudge Rodriguez. Okay, yes, it could be Pudge. Nope, never had a five-hit game in the postseason. Oh, I know. You can't fool me. It's Buster Posey. They won three world championships. He must have had a five-hit game, Buster Posey. Nope. Will Smith. Will frickin' Smith is the only catcher in postseason history to have a five-hit game. It's almost impossible to believe. The other takeaway from watching the Dodgers completely dismantle, and I mean completely dismantle the, the Padres, was that I always picture what the Red Sox were doing as they were watching Mookie Betts, as they were paying David Price. Mookie Betts, who had an amazing series, he would have been the MVP of the series, really, if there are MVPs of division series, which there aren't. MVPs start now in the LCS. But he was hitting, he hit 368 for the series. He hit five doubles. His OPS was over 1,000. He was just electric. And that is his... uh I'm sorry, those are, uh, thank you, Coca, you are correct. Those are his postseason numbers, not the series numbers. He has just been exactly what the Dodgers hoped for when they traded for him. He is a difference maker on a team that was a winning team, a successful team, but does not have a ring team. Make no mistake, if the Los Angeles Dodgers do not win the World Series, this season will be considered an epic failure. No matter how good the Rays or Yankees are, no matter how good the Braves are, no matter how good the Astros are, if the Dodgers do not win, they will be considered a failure. But I would always, with Schadenfreude, watch players who we had, who we traded away, and I would watch them compete. I remember when Miguel Cabrera went to the World Series with the Tigers, and I want him to win because I love him. But the other side of me, and I'm willing to admit it because I'm nothing personal, I tell you, it's nothing personal. I wanted Cabrera's World Series with the Marlins to be so special and for him to realize that you can't, it's hard to win those World Series and that if you didn't win it with us, 
you're not going to win it anywhere else. Of course, me wishing things don't make, doesn't make it come true, but the Dodger, the uh, Tigers did not win that World Series. I want to say they got swept. I can't remember the year, but it was soon after he got traded to the Tigers. But in any case, the Red Sox, I promise you, were watching Mookie Betts. And they were saying, God, please don't win. Please don't be successful. Make it okay that we traded him. Make it okay. Now, they will tell you when interviewed, because that's what you have to do, because you have to keep up appearances. They will tell you, of course, we're rooting for Mookie. He's one of the greatest guys we know. It was so sad that we had to trade him, but we did what we had to do for the organization. We had a great run with Mookie, a championship MVP run here in Boston, and we wish him nothing but the best. Anytime you see, this is a funny one, in my mind at least, Anytime you hear a sports executive say the following, we wish him the very best. Just know that they're not wishing him the very best. They're actually doing the opposite. Their toes and fingers are crossed and they're wishing him the very worst. That's just human nature. It is what it is. Just wear it. Embrace it. We've got a great National League Championship Series coming up. We're going to talk about nothing personal as it happens. Dodgers, Braves, I'm not going to make the pick yet. We'll wait for the ALCS to be set, although that will be Coca. What do we do about that? The ALCS is going to start on Sunday with the Astros against either the Yankees or the Rays, which means we have to do a pick today for the ALCS, not the NLCS, because that, strangely enough, starts on Monday. So I guess it would appear that I have to do a pick now, but I can't do a pick because is it the Rays or the Yankees? So here's what, here's what we'll do. This weekend, sometime after tonight's game between the Rays and the Yankees, I will do my ALCS pick, which will pick the team and the number of games. It'll be like a wait to see, but I'll do it on Twitter at David P. Sampson. So go on Twitter and you will see what that pick will be. We'll reiterate it on Monday because the picks for the division series, for those of you paying attention, have gone very well so far. We don't need to close it out yet because the division series is not over. But yes, we did have the Astros. Yes, we did have the Braves. And yes, we did have the Dodgers. By the way, we have the Rays. I think we have the Rays in five, Coca, as our wait to see. So if the Rays win tonight, that one will be totally correct. In any case, get ready We are getting down to the final four in baseball. Remember, it's going to be every day, no off days, again, just like the division series. So what do you do when you wake up the day after you've been eliminated from the playoffs? Hmm. I don't have the first idea. I've never been eliminated from the playoffs. Only won the World Series. So I guess it's the same thing because been eliminated from playoff contention, but that was during the regular season, sometimes in July, sometimes in September, but sometimes in July. What are the Marlins doing right now? It's an interesting conversation because when you wake up after the type of season they've had, where you've been going on adrenaline, you had the outbreak, you made 150 roster moves plus, you've been on the road traveling inside the playoff bubble, you had the amazing feeling of clinching the playoffs, the amazing feeling of celebrating beating the Cubs, the feeling that you're in the series with Atlanta, even after losing a game, you feel like you can come back. 
even after losing two games, you have Sixto Sanchez, your real ace, even though he's young on the mound. You feel like you're going to come back. You've got adrenaline flowing. You wake up and all of a sudden you have this void. I remember that's the feeling I would have the day after the regular season would end or in 03, the day after the World Series. You have this feeling like, okay, now what? What do I do? My routine of a game every day, my routine of hoping that we are heading towards something, it's done. How much time do I take before I have to start preparing for 2021 or for the next season? And some people take a week. Some players take a month. Generally, my offseason lasted about an hour because you're starting to plan next season from a business standpoint and from a baseball standpoint immediately. What the Marlins are going to do is something that I had to do every year for 18 years. I had to check my delusion at the door. When you go into a season, there's not one season out of 18 that I went into that I didn't think that we had a chance if everything fell right to compete for and the World Series and make the playoffs. Whether it was true or not, there wasn't one first workout in spring training where I looked and said, this team sucks. Even 2006, after we had traded away so many players from 2005 when we should have made the playoffs and didn't, we had Joe Girardi. We had a bunch of young players who had never been proven, but we thought Dan Ugla could be good. We knew Hanley Ramirez was going to be good. We had great young pitching. Remember Ricky Nolasco and Scott Olson, Josh Johnson, bunch of players, Annabelle Sanchez. You go in being told you're going to lose a hundo and feeling like you can win a hundo. The Marlins went into this season feeling like they had to take a step forward. And they did take a step forward because they won 31 of their first 60 games. They did take a step forward because they qualified for the postseason. Whether it was expanded playoffs or not, the postseason drought ended. But you have to look at yourself now if you're the Marlins and have a very tough conversation. They were in the middle of a rebuild. And what Derek Jeter has been saying is that I'm not a patient man. I want to win. I want to win now. And by making the playoffs this year, his view has been, we have proven you all wrong. They have been running around to local media here in Florida saying, why aren't you paying more attention? Why aren't you realizing how good a season we had? Why aren't you focused and giving more news coverage and more column inches to the great job we've done since that crappy old regime and all the crap they left us with. So offensive. It's a joke. We have rebuilt the farm system. We have gotten players in and look, we made the playoffs. You're right. They did all those things. Would they've made the playoffs in 162 game season? We'll never know. So the narrative gets to be, yes, they would have. They get to say that. So what do you do now? You pick up Starley Marte's option, 12 and a half million. You do that for sure. You know your offense <clears throat> was no better than you thought it would be, even though you brought in Dickerson, signed him to a two-year deal, Jesus Aguilar. You've got great young players. I do know that. But are they great enough? Are there any Ronald Acuna's? Are there any Juan Soto's? Are there any players you can build around? Is it Brian Anderson? Is it Jazz Chisholm? Is it Garrett Cooper? Because it's not Miguel Rojas. He's their spiritual leader. You don't build a championship team around Miguel Rojas. It's really hard once you've tasted this success 
to dismiss it as variable. And variable may very well be what it was. And that's not to take away from it. This is not an anti-Marlins rant. This is a sympathetic rant. It's not even a rant. It's a sympathetic voice. Because how do you know? Do you add? Do you ask your owner if you are Mike Hill, who, by the way, his contract ends in 20 days? They better give him an extension. He deserves to be about the fifth or sixth highest general manager. He's got more experience and he's shown that he can move money when he needs to. Ah, He doesn't need me to be his agent or his mouthpiece. It'll be very interesting to see. Maddenly was manager of the year. They gave him a pay cut last year to this year. What are they going to do? What are they going to do with Mike Hill? What do you do? Do you go to your <clears throat> do you go to your owner and say we got to raise payroll? We need to bring in some real offense here. We need to trade some pitching to get offense to complement Marte. He can't be our only offensive weapon. Or do you say what a great season? We we had a chance. We made the playoffs. We started to reverse the narrative, but we've got to stay the course. It's hard to stay the course. Remember when the Chicago Cubs were rebuilding and they lost so many games as part of the rebuild before they won the World Series in 2016? And they were, they were losing 100 games multiple times, sort of like the Astros. The Astros, before they became good, had a three-year span where they lost 100 games in a row. Well, the owner of the Cubs was so annoyed by all the losing that he mandated the signing of a pitcher named Edwin Jackson to a long-term deal in Chicago. And it was a head scratcher because it didn't fit the rebuild. The Cubs weren't ready and it turned out to be a disastrous signing. But the GM did it because it was Theo, I believe. He did it because when the owner says, hey, I'm giving you the money, you got to do this. Owners get impatient during rebuilds. Owners get impatient during seasons when there's winning because they want to win more. They get impatient when they don't get a ring because they want a ring. They get impatient when they win a ring because they want to win another ring. And the job of the front office is to quash that impatience and to shower it with a dose of reality. I'm not sure Jeter has what it takes to do that with Bruce Sherman. I think that Bruce Sherman will need to be fiscally responsible. And Bruce Sherman, the owner of the Marlins, will realize that the amount of financial benefit that has been gained by this playoff run is so de minimis that it will not cut into the annual losses of the team enough to warrant any sort of payroll increase. There's so much concern about next season and next season's revenues that I think the Marlins will be able to hide behind that and not increase the payroll and not do anything to say that we are advancing our rebuild. And you know what? That will benefit them. By being able to not make bad signings because of money, you end up not making bad signings because of evaluation. What do I mean by that concept? I compliment the Tampa Rays all the time for trading their players before they need to. It's always better to trade a player a year too early than a year too late. I compliment them because they don't go after the huge free agents. They did it once in their franchise history when Vince Namoli, the old owner, rest in peace, signed. Remember when he signed Fred McGriff and Jose Canseco and Wade Boggs and did all that stuff and it didn't add up to anything. 
what the Rays do now is they've got players who they're about to be in the LCS and people can't name five people on that team. The, the fans cannot literally name five players on that team. When you don't have the money, because Tampa has, very, has no revenue, terrible TV deal, terrible attendance, terrible everything. You can't make the type of mistakes that are made by teams who have the ability to make those mistakes. It's an interesting thing. When the Marlins acted like a large revenue team and signed players to big long-term deals, they didn't work out because we weren't in a market that was able to sustain. And in addition, it's hard to sign long-term deals that work. The majority of long-term deals simply don't. So if you can't sign them to begin with, then you can't get hurt, which makes what the Dodgers are doing that much more interesting to me. Until Mookie Betts, Andrew Friedman, winning all those divisions, no free agent signings over $55 million. And by the way, Mookie Betts was not a free agent signing. He was an extension. They had already traded for him. He was under contract. So I could still tell you that they have no true free agent signings over $55 million. The Dodgers with a $200 million payroll certainly could do it, but they don't. They act like Andrew, and Andrew acts like he's still in Tampa, where he came from. That's what makes them so successful, to have a small revenue mentality with a big revenue team. Now, don't get me wrong. Andrew Friedman waves his money around, takes advantage of small revenue teams by offering them money for their draft picks, offering them money to get international slot money from teams. So he uses the power of the dollar to improve his team without getting stuck with horrific long-term deals. It is a very interesting way that the Dodgers do business and how the Marlins will do business this offseason is going to be interesting. How the Reds and other teams who made the expanded playoffs but weren't good enough, even the Padres, what will these teams do going into 2021? This offseason is going to be far more interesting than last offseason because last offseason was a regular offseason. There was no COVID. There was no thought of COVID. I guess it had started in China maybe a little bit during the offseason, but no one thought what would happen would happen. But this offseason, there are two factors in baseball that are un- that we'll talk about for the next few months. One, the collective bargaining agreement expires after 2021. And two, there is no way to know what's going to be with COVID. If you're a free agent player, we said it on nothing personal, be like Yuri Gurriel. Take the one-year deal, take the 20% cut, and run. Run. All right. How's Washington doing? The Washington football team. Let me just look at one thing here. I'm putting on my glasses. Dwayne Haskins. That's why we wanted to talk about him. Dwayne Haskins was benched. Who's Dwayne Haskins? He's the quarterback for the Washington football team. Who's Ron Rivera? He's the coach for the Washington football team. Who's Daniel Snyder? The owner of the Washington football team. Why is it worthy of a nothing personal segment that Dwayne Haskins got benched? Because something happened that I have never seen. There were rumors that Dwayne Haskins was benched because he didn't practice hard enough and he didn't study enough. 
Talk about sullying a guy's reputation. He didn't practice enough. Does that mean he didn't show up to the practices? Does that mean he didn't stay after school enough? Does that mean he didn't show up early enough? There's rumblings that players were upset and management was upset that he would show up to practice after the third string quarterback. Well, by the way, when you're the third string quarterback, you better show up early. Didn't study enough. Does that mean that the quarterbacks who lift their, uh, what is it? What is it they do? I see Patrick Mahomes doing it, I think. And all the catchers in baseball do it now. And even outfielders, they have this sheet of paper, like a cheat sheet. I think Brady, Tom Brady may even have one on their wrist where they open up and they see plays and then they call plays or, or when they hear a play in their ear, it, it says what the play is on their arm. Anyway, Dwayne Haskins getting called out like that makes no sense to me. If you are the Washington football team and you want to switch quarterbacks because your team stinks, then switch quarterbacks. But why do you have to sully the reputation of Haskins? Well, Ron Rivera was asked about that because it was so bizarre. And Ron Rivera, who is fighting cancer, and I hope he wins that battle. He is getting IVs during games to keep coaching because he's sick. I have great respect for him. He's trying to turn around a franchise that's the equivalent of turning around the biggest cruise ship you've ever seen in the East River of New York City. It's impossible to do. Ron Rivera is trying to change a culture along with their new team president that is so ripe for change, but so stale from the constant decade of abuse that's gone on there. It's a tough situation. So Ron Rivera asked a question about Dwayne Haskins, said the following. I think our best chance to win is putting the ball in somebody else's hands. I think our best chance to have things done in our offense is in somebody else's hands. That's what I'm doing. I'm doing that based on what I've seen. I just think right now, this is the decision I'm making. So does that mean that Ron Rivera for the first four games, since he took over as coach, through training camp in the first four games, he knew he had Kyle Allen, who, by the way, played for him in uh, uh, Carolina where he last coached. He knew he had Alex Smith, who was coming back from that horrific leg injury. But Haskins was his starter. But now, after four games, he said, no, I think our best chance is with somebody else based on what I've seen. That means what he's seen over the four games. He's saying the Redskins, the Redskins, excuse me. He's saying the Washington football team is one in three in large part because the ball was in Dwayne Haskins hands. Maybe it has to do with the personnel that's around Haskins. Maybe the fact that we all knew is that the football team wasn't a good football team. And that even though they're trying to get a new culture and they have this new head coach, their personnel just wasn't good enough. Maybe they need to take a deep, long look at their entire team. Why throw your quarterback under the bus? Okay, I know what your answer is out there, and I'm with you. Because someone's got to take the blame, and they're not going to fire the coach. They just hired him. They're not going to fire the owner because he can't. They're not going to fire the president because he just started. So when a team doesn't play well, you make changes. You bench a player. 
If your baseball team isn't winning or your starter keeps giving up runs, you send them to the minor leagues. You switch out personnel. I'm all in on that. But what, when we switch out a player, let's say a starting pitcher, and we're going to take him out of the rotation. What we say is that the, the results were not there. He needs to throw more strikes, and we want him to get better command of his secondary pitch or pitches. That's a reasonable thing to say to the media and to say to your fans. When a position player is sent out, you say, listen, striking out too much, we need more contact. He needs more at-bats. He's not getting enough playing time. All of those are things that you can say to the media. Sometimes it's because of service time, and we don't say that to the media when we manipulate service time in order not to pay a player or to keep a player longer. So there's absolutely reasons other than performance that players can be sent down or changes can be made. But when you're making a change and you're keeping the player on your team, that means that you're moving a starting pitcher to the bullpen is the equivalent. And what you say is we're going to skip him and we're going to give him work out of the bullpen because he can help us there. And we think we put ourselves in a better chance with a better chance to win by having a change in the rotation. What we don't say is we are taking John Doe out of the rotation because he doesn't know the signs. We're taking him out of the rotation because he doesn't show up to the ballpark early enough. We're taking him out of the rotation or sending him out because we feel as though he's stupid. No, even when we have a player who is sent out or is benched because of a disciplinary reason, we would say, we're going to keep it in-house. It's a decision we're making. And then we may leak it. We may not, depending on the relationship we'd have with the agent and the player. But if it's a player we have a good relationship with and an agent we have a good relationship with, we would give cover to that player. We would let the player know why we're doing what we're doing. We would tell that player, here's the discipline you're getting and here's why. But we wouldn't throw him under the bus publicly. When a leak comes out that a player doesn't practice hard enough or study hard enough, that's coming from the team. And then Ron Rivera, when asked to clarify, could have clarified it. And instead, he gives a horse hockey reason for making a change and doesn't address the leak that the team itself made. Don't say this is the decision I'm making. Don't say that our best chance to have things done in our offense is in someone else's hands. That is normal and okay, if not for the rumor that the change was made because he doesn't practice hard enough or study enough. Address it head on. They're not going to do that because they leaked it to begin with. Now ask yourself, what kind of organization leaks that about a player who they're not releasing or they're not trading? We would leak good stuff about a player we wanted to trade, even though that player was a bad person or a bad player. We would talk up our minor league prospects who we wanted to trade, even though we knew they'd never become major league prospects. That's the competitive nature of this business. If you're moving Dwayne Haskins down to the number three quarterback, which they announced, he's number three on the depth chart. So Kyle Allen passed him. Alex Smith passed him. 
Alex Smith, who hasn't played since 2018, by the way. You have done something to Dwayne Haskins, and there's a reason, and the reason got out because you put it out there thinking that it would make you look good, that he doesn't practice hard enough, and he doesn't review, study. It's insulting. You haven't changed one thing there in Washington. Ron, you're not changing the problem. You're becoming part of the problem. I guess you are now under the spell of Daniel Snyder. When we come back, we're talking strippers and dicks. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. <laughs> Welcome back. We're talking Luke and Andy Dick, and we're talking strippers. You know I watch a movie, review movies every day. One of the one of you, thank you, by the way, for downloading, subscribing, telling your friends about nothing personal. You had me go to Hulu and watch a documentary called Red Dog. Red Dog is written and directed by Luke Dick. I don't know if Luke Dick and Andy Dick are brothers. I don't think so. Andy Dick was just in a show that I was just watching. That's why I was thinking about the two dicks. Luke Dick is a very famous songwriter. He writes songs for some of the best. Coca, you alive? Coca, Coca, you Okay. It's okay. We're okay. We're okay. Stay calm. You okay? Talk to me. Talk to me, honey. You all right? (sighs) Luke Dick is a famous songwriter. He's written songs for Dirks Bentley. I don't think that's his name. Miranda Carey. Uh, That's not her name. It's uh, Miranda Lambert. Thank you. Oh, he wrote a song, Coco, for Casey Musgraves. I love her. Didn't she win all those Grammys? I think I may have downloaded her entire album after the Grammys because I'd never seen her before. And she's gorgeous and has a great voice. In any case, this guy's a famous songwriter. He grew up in Oklahoma City in a saloon, a strip club called Red Dog. Red Dog of a very famous topless bar strip club. And this is a documentary about a child, Luke Dick, being raised by strippers, where basically it's hookers and blow, hookers and blow, hookers and blow. That was his life. And that alone could be a 100-minute movie. But what he did is he has the most compelling characters of all time. First, his mother is the number one character. She's this chain-smoking, overweight woman who you cannot imagine was this hot stripper, but she was. And 
she talks about what she did, why she did it. And then she talks about the bouncer at the Red Dog Saloon, who, by the way, I think is his father. And then talks about the owner of the Red Dog Saloon, who, by the way, may be his father. It's, 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 it's a train wreck, this life. But guess what? Sometimes train wrecks end up okay. And Luke Dick is doing just fine. Red Dog Documentary is 100 minutes on Hulu. It is amazing to watch family drama. That's real. These characters are genuine. Give it a try. Give it a try. Red Dog on Hulu. Hookers and blow, Coca. Okay. (laughs) It's okay. Let's talk about game five. I wanted to mention something here. Uh, We're going to watch the Yankees play the Rays. Two things are happening that are interesting that you should watch for. Number one, they're starting Garrett Cole. Of course they are. He's in the first year of a nine-year, $324 million deal. He started game one. Of course, they're going to start him in the deciding game five. Not even a question. It should be noted, though, that he's never pitched on three days rest. That's called short rest in baseball. Normally, you pitch on four days rest. He's pitching on three days rest. It's what Josh Beckett did for us in game six of the World Series in 03. It's what pitchers do in the playoffs. It's normal. It happens. But you don't know how Cole will react to pitching on short rest. No matter what he says, you just don't know how your arm will feel. He may only be able to go five innings tonight. You just don't know. He may be effective or he may be able to pitch a nine-inning shutout. You just don't know. The Tampa Bay Rays can't go with Blake Snell on three days rest to start the game. Blake Snell has been pitching only five innings every start anyway because of elbow issues, five-plus innings. Hasn't gotten out of the sixth yet. I don't think he got out of the sixth all season, but I could be wrong, Coca. That's my recollection of studying Blake Snell. I wash. I didn't study him. I looked him up before the show. Hmm. I don't practice enough. I don't study enough. I'm going to get demoted by Ron Rivera. Damn it. So the Rays announced they're starting Tyler Glasnow. No way. It can't be. Glasnow just pitched. They're starting him on two days rest. Well, two days rest is what's called a bullpen day. So what I think is going to happen in tonight's game is Glasnow is going to pitch maybe two innings, depending on his pitch count. Then I think they're going to go to Blake Snell and let him go two to three innings. Then they're going to go to Nick Anderson for two to three innings. Then they're going to go to Castillo for an inning. I think that's sort of how this game plays out. For the Yankees to win, they're going to have to beat some really good pitchers. For the Rays to win, they're going to have to beat some really good pitchers because it's going to go from Cole and they're going to go right to Zach Britton and Araldis Chapman. That's how I think they're going to try to do the game. If they have, if they have to go out of Vino, they will. But this game will be won or lost at the plate. What kind of game will Stanton have and judge? Will LeMayhew get on base? Will the Rays be able to get and manufacture runs? The Rays are a deeper, better team. The Yankees have a scary lineup. But guess what? It's a one-game winner-take-all, and I'm here for that. Game five is tonight. You know I got the Rays because I had the Rays winning the series in five. It's going to be exciting. When you make a decision to go with a pitcher on short rest the way the Yankees and Rays are doing, you know the risk you're taking, but that risk is mitigated because when the playoff schedule came out, 
and the off days went away, you knew that you were sending pitchers out there on short rest at some point, no matter what. Wait till the LCS comes. You think they're going to go five starters deep? Not going to happen. There'll be pitchers pitching on short rest for the rest of the postseason. Will it impact the quality of the games? Will the games become five hours long? Maybe. Nothing personal pick of the day. We nailed it. We're 25 and 18. Nailed it. You know we did. The Astros advanced. Fourth straight year in the ALCS. MLB's happy. By the way, MLB will do anything to get the Yankees out of this series against the Rays. They want the Astros against the Yankees. You know that. My pick of the day today, I'm going to basketball because tonight's the NBA Finals. Now, you know I have a way to see that the Lakers win in five. So how can I have my pick of the day to be the Heat? Because I can. Because the Heat are getting seven points. So if the Lakers win by four, I win both. They win by one, I win both. I think the Lakers do win the game, but I don't think it's a blowout. So take the Heat, take the points. That's the nothing personal pick of the day. Now, a note about tonight's game before we close this show. And this is a great way to close the show. There is a report about the NBA Finals. Remember Daryl Morey and China and all the issues with Daryl Morey and his tweet about Hong Kong, supporting Hong Kong, and China turned their back on the NBA? Well, there is a report that China will now resume showing the NBA, starting with tonight's Game 5. Does that mean that NBA and China are in a detente? No. Does it mean that all is forgiven? No. What it means is it's a clinching game, and it is critical for the NBA to have a clinching game with LeBron winning a title, his fourth, It must be shown in China. And from China's standpoint, for their business, they must show LeBron. If this series were tied at two right now, China wouldn't be showing game five. They would show game six if the Lakers won and were up three to two. This was all planned. This is all China saying, we're going to make a point here, but our points have points and our points have limits. We know at the end of the day that we have billions of people, all of whom love LeBron James, and they're going to watch LeBron James win his title. It almost makes me feel like it's a fait accompli that the Lakers win the game. Maybe the game's already been played in the bubble. We wouldn't even know. Would we know, actually? It's in a bubble. Wait a minute, Coca. I think game five's already been played. You want a conspiracy theory? This is it. The Lakers won game five. China knew that they had won game five. So they're going to broadcast it when it is broadcast live here to tape in the United States. Wow. China really does know what it's doing. And so does Adam Silver. They figured it out a long time ago. It's business. Sorry, Pat Riley and the heat. It's nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? 
Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.